and welcome to the 115th episode of Downtime Podcast with Jeremy and Elisa. Today, we have a very special guest, uh, a technically former Sony employee, our very own Elisa. Hey, what's up? So, yeah, a little bit of a little bit of a bomb drop on, I guess, some of our listeners because... Uh, well, we don't I don't really talk- work at Sony anymore. That right, was my right. previous job. But we don't really talk about our personal lives too much yeah, on the podcast. Which is, which is also very true. But so this is kind of... So you, you've been working for Sony for quite a while now. Or worked you worked for Sony. Sony. I worked for Sony, I want to say, for two years before I changed jobs. Yeah. I mean, in the tech industry, that's pretty normal, actually. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, in the tech industry, working six for six months is normal. Yeah. So seriously. I already passed my peak. Nice. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's it's pretty cool that, uh, you know, you you survived that long and you were there that long. But yeah, uh, before we dig too deep into it, I just wanted to say that, uh, you know, we're going to treat this like every uh, every other interview we've done before. You're a guest. You're a guest on the podcast. I'm a guest, uh, y'all. Technically. Yeah. Technically, you're a guest and I will be interviewing you. All right. (laughs) Cool. So, yeah. Um, By the way, I don't know what Jeremy's going to ask me. Jeremy sent me a list, but I've been working late hours at my new job that I don't know what he's going to ask. <laughs> so but that's we'll the best part. S- I know. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. And feel free to cut out all of the weird silence that I may have after <laughs> all the questions <laughs> that you're asking. So every, every question, I'll just edit it so that every question has silence after it. I'm just oh like talking my to myself. God. Okay. Oh, <laughs> no, well, I'm then. just kidding. Redacted. 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 <laughs> uh, redacted's my favorite word. <laughs> I always use it as a joke when I when I have something that I want to say. I'm just like redacted. Or you're just like, can we can we undo that, please? Can we just can we yes. undo that? <laughs> uh, so uh, it's, it's nice to meet you. You know, nice it's to nice meet to meet you. you. Too. Yeah, it's very nice to meet you. Um, thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to talk with us today. We're, yeah, you know, sounds good. We're fans. We're fans of Sony here, and we just want to, uh, you know, just uh, pry your pry your brain a little bit and see see what's up. You know. To everyone who's listening, before I answer the questions that Jeremy's about to ask, I wanted to put out a disclaimer that this experience that I had does not reflect the experiences of other Sony employees and that every person is different to what, uh, how their work situation was, so... I just want to put that in motion before we move on that uh, what I what what I did at my job is not what happened to everyone else that works at Sony. Well put. Thank you. Yes. So my first question is, when did you start liking PlayStation and why? Oh, that's not even a work question. <laughs> no, because I, I, well, I'm leading into it. I'm leading <laughs> okay, into it. Okay. Look, we got we to gotta start somewhere and then we'll build up to it. Okay. Oh, that that is a very easy answer. I started liking PlayStation, I want to say, in 96. And I think when it was 96, I don't remember if it was Tekken 1 or Tekken 2, but one of those Tekkens came out and it was the first time I ever played a PlayStation game. And it was at my cousin's house. So I played Tekken 2 at my cousin at my cousin's place, as well as I learned about Wipeout for the first time. And I learned about a bunch of other games. And I learned about PlayStation in general. And that's the first exposure I had. And when I became a fan of the company, or I guess the console, I didn't really understand company loyalty at that time. It was more just I really liked my PlayStation or my cousin's PlayStation. I see. Yo, and to the point that sense. to the point that my cousin lent his PlayStation to me all the time. Oh, okay. okay when, I see. when I was growing up, yes. So you only had Tekken. I only had Tekken and games that he had. Well, we had Wipeout. We had Crash Team Racing. We had uh, what else did we have on PlayStation? Uh, definitely Mortal Kombat, the series, and we had Street Fighter Two. Oh wow, that's quite a few games. Yeah, it was quite a few games as a kid and it's uh, my with my cut co- they were my cousin's games my sister 
played a lot of Wipeout, and I played mostly fighting games when I f- started. I see. I see. Yes. So, with that said, what made you want to work at Sony, and what was your position when you were working there? Um, I think the dream anyone has is to work at a company where you believe in the product. That that's the that's the dream of anyone, and it's when I um when I wrote my college essay. My college essay was actually about video games. And my college essay was about how I wanted to make video games, which that being said, I was not a very traditional essay, I'd say. And I don't know, there was a point when I was growing up that I knew that I wanted to be in the video game or entertainment sector in general. I just didn't know exactly what I wanted to be at first. And I also wanted to be something that had a little bit of technicality to it because I feel like I'm a technical person and a lot of my skills are with problem solving and on top of that I knew I I liked working in teams and I liked managerial roles so if I I wanted a role that combined all of these things together and Mm -hmm. at the end of the day uh, what I did at Sony was I was a technical coordinator and when uh, I was a technical coordinator, so I helped uh, manage tasks for the projects as well as I was helping figure out um, schedules for the engineers as well as the designers and myself. I was doing a little bit of uh, coding, a little bit of Python coding. Okay, very cool. Yeah, and... Uh, what I did at Sony was I worked for a R&D department, research and development department. A lot of ideas run through us first to test out. And not every idea, I'd say one out of 5,000 ideas actually make it through to the next round. And what we did too was our for R&D is we were experimenting with what future things could come up in terms of products and i don't i can't really say much else after that okay no that's fine that sounds pretty cool and it's interesting that that part was based in san francisco and not based in japan or was there a japanese arm that you guys were extending to or was all this r&d stuff only in san francisco there was a japanese arm that we were extending to you know i i don't quite understand to this day the hierarchy of sony and playstation so when we when i was working at playstation you know playstation has an American CEO and president, well, Sean Layden, right? So he like, uh, or, yeah? or is it John? Oh man, I don't even remember at this point. But there is a American representative, so you would think that as an American branch, that the work very much was independent of what was going on in Japan. We didn't really have to depend on a lot of things. We were just doing our, like, you know, you think of a company like Santa Monica Studios and, you know, the Sony Bend, Oregon location. What else? Uh, Sucker Punch. And they're just developing games for Sony. As someone who worked on the more R&D side of the hardware, that's when you realize that, oh, uh, we were an extension of a lot of the stuff that was going on in Japan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that what I learned was the developers of video games have a lot more freedom than if you were working on the console side. And working in R&D was an interesting position because you could, there were a lot of possibilities just because it's R&D and you're experimenting all the time. So even though we were R&D for hardware, there were a lot of some of the stuff we did involved creating software so um a little bit so that being said whatever we created was vetted or over uh, was supervised by a team in japan are uh, their japan's r&d team 
I see. I see. Um, yeah, for those that don't know, actually, Sony Interactive Entertainment is headquartered in San Mateo, California, whereas uh, Sony, the Sony, what is it? It's just Sony Corporation. Sony Corporation, company. yeah. Yeah, Sony Company, the parent corporation of Sony Interactive Entertainment, is based in Tokyo. Um, so yeah, of course, there's a lot of overlap between Asia and North America, but yeah, yeah. For those that don't know, PlayStation is actually headquartered in California. Yeah, and definitely you see that a lot of the a lot of the freedom. Uh, the American freedom and the American work <laughs> culture, I'd say, uh, is more on the studio, uh, on the video game studio side. So development of the games itself and working on the console. Oh man, the, that was uh, doing things like that is kind of rough because there's a lot of things that are dictated by the software or dictated by the hardware created in Japan. Mm -hmm. And sometimes what would happen with the R&D team is Japan would make a hardware and give it to us. And then we just have like, just like do whatever with it and see, and t let us know how it worked. I see. Yes. Now cool. I don't necessarily, um, because ja Japan dictated the hardware 99% of the time, if you had a suggestion for them, they didn't change it because mm. they were essentially, it was almost like a, yeah, uh, fuck you. You have to deal with whatever you get. Or they're like, I'm sure you're sure they were like, we understand your concern, but there's nothing we can do about it at this time. You're like, you could do something about it, but they're like, no, we don't want to do anything about it. Yeah, it, it, essentially. Um, it, it, and going off of a tangent, I didn't work on the PlayStation 4, and I wasn't even, like, you know, I was still in college when the PlayStation 4 came out. But a lot of the hardware that comes from the PlayStation is pretty hard, is hard-coded. And when I say hard-coded, it it's like very specific that it doesn't require any flexibility. So remember how I want to say during Christmas time, they finally announced you could change your username at PlayStation. Yes. So part of the reason why you couldn't change your PlayStation on the PlayStation network wasn't just because, Oh, Sony is being lazy or, you know, Sony doesn't care about the fan base. It was legit because the hardware and whatever software was created with this console had was coded in such a specific way that they didn't even con that it didn't even consider that someone would want to change their username. And so part of that issue was it just took a while for them to figure out the operating system so that you could change your username. Yeah. Um yeah, that's a whole other thing. <laughs> yeah. But and I, I I totally get it too. And this has been covered by various other news articles and you could totally read up about it. Uh, yeah. on your own time. We're not going to really go into too much detail, but yeah, that's that's one of the side things that I know a lot of people were frustrated with from the beginning, and it's a really good example that you just put forward where you have to understand that you can't just make a decision on something that you want to do. You really have to go up the chain, but the chain doesn't really move that much. Exactly, and which brings me to another point of companies in general and my like the thing with Xbox for example is the way that they coded their console allows for flexibility the way that Sony codes their console does not allow flexibility i assume it's based on an older framework it probably is it like some sort of legacy thing um yeah that wouldn't surprise me at all yeah i don't know been... that right yeah. yeah, no worries. I mean, you were just yeah. testing stuff. You weren't really making anything. So, uh, cool. Yeah, no, I mean, and to kind of backtrack a little bit, this is kind of something that Elisa and I have echoed in our frustrations in, in some previous podcasts talking about Sony and how they're mainly a Japanese company that, you know, doesn't really budge when it comes to certain They're very things. rigid. Yeah, and this is kind of echoing that as well. So just, just to, you know tell you guys why Elisa and I felt that way is because now you know because Elisa worked for Sony PlayStation um, yeah exactly 
And, you know, it was one of those things where I see some departments at my work and some of those departments aren't dictated or supervised by someone in Japan. Mm-hmm. And it feels like there was just, it was such an easier, not easier is not the right word. It was so much smoother and more peaceful. And every department that I was at where someone was supervising from Japan was kind of a pain in the ass. Okay. I see. I see. You're, yeah. you're kind of answering another question that I have, which was... Uh... What were the nuances that you had to hurdle through, if there were any? And if you want to kind of touch on what you just said a little bit more. Yeah. So I think the biggest thing is the rigidness and the and the lack of understanding uh, to under lack of understanding of what the American market wants and understanding that part of research is taking a leap to learn about other about your audience from other places internationally and sometimes a lot of the things that we were doing revolved around a japanese nuanced cultural aspect but it, like for example it was like it was something they wanted to this is like an obscure idea cuz i can't t- say specifics but it's like you want to advertise something to canada but your advertisement to canada is a very japanese thing and it's just like you know you can't do that you have to know what the market of canada is looking for and then build your ad and build your platform off of that you, you can't just take something from japan and then you, and advertise it and then say that it's okay so mm-hmm. It was a lack of understanding of globalization, in my opinion, was was a big thing. And then I would also say, and this was a so when I was working at Sony, this was a issue. But now that I have this new, now that I just been in this industry for a while, it's not even an issue to me anymore. But time zones, because um, there was an expectation as someone who had a Japanese supervisor where when I was finished working in the U S that was Japan's morning. So if Japan had a question, there was an expectation that you needed to answer that question for Japan. Oh, it was, it wasn't just a, Oh, I'm off at five o'clock. It was cyclical. It work never stops. At any given point, people are always working. And it's it's crazy because sometimes there are points where it was my daytime, Pacific, and I ask a question in a thread to a Japanese person, and I have no expectation of it being answered, by the way. I'm just asking it so I don't forget about it. And then that person asks it, and it's their 2 a.m., for example. Mm -hmm. So So there was a lot of that going on. Um, it's something that I'm used to now just because this is the industry that I chose to work for, uh, and entertainment is like that, but it's weird to me that, uh, you know, you know about the whole salaryman stereotype. Yeah. Salaryman never sleeps in Japan. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's this idea that with that in Japan, you're pretty much dedicated to your job the whole time and after work ends you are with you're still thinking about your job you're eating with your job yeah you might be drinking with your job so yeah yeah no it's it's true it yes so i'm but yeah no uh, sorry go ahead oh i and then another one more nuanced thing about work about working um for a japanese company was the emails that I sent had to had to be addressed in a very specific way. And when you're when you're writing an email to someone, you can kind of sense what you're supposed to do. For example, if you're writing to a coworker who's your level, you can just be more casual. If you're writing to your supervisor, you should have a greeting as well as a sign off. If you're writing to a client you should definitely be much more polite you you know be proper as much as you can at sony it, it 
I everything was the same no matter who I sent an email to. Mm-hmm. It was all across the board a very super polite ass email, which is, by the way is fine. I it's it's professional in my opinion, and I like I like to be professional, so this was like this was not an issue. But I was just thinking of a situation that I had with a secretary, and it was the most ridiculous thing where um, I didn't. So in Japan, uh, if you have the word san, S-A-N, at the end of your name, it's kind of a sign of respect as well as well as a it usually means that that person is either older or more experienced to some degree. Yeah. So. I was emailing a secretary who was my age, but worked at Sony for a longer time. Mm -hmm. And I was writing and the email was very polite. I didn't do anything bad except for the fact that I didn't add son to the end of her name. And it blew up into this really unnecessary thing. And I had to be called in by my supervisor. And it was the most ridiculous shit that I ever um, like like the most like I've never been called into the office for something like that before. Really? And yeah. And what was, what blew my mind was, and this isn't a Sony thing, by the way, this is just a work situation. You know how you have those people at work where they could have, if they had an issue with you, they could have sent you a message and that would have ended the issue. Mm. But instead they don't include you in a message. They email your supervisor and they say, see a bunch of other supervisors talking about you. And you're just like, I didn't know this was an issue yeah. until you brought it up with me. And the, like I said, this is not a Sony thing. This is just a, this is a across the board work sabotage that everyone has to deal with. <laughs> it's yeah, true. It's but true. Yes. And having to deal with that because she wanted a moniker added at the end of her name which by the way she could have just messaged me direct messaged me and told me was the most ridiculous shit i ever had to deal with like about emails <laughs> so that's that's oh wow okay yeah um and yeah it's crazy because i compare the departments at sony that don't have a japanese supervisor and you know they're super chill and not even super chill, but you can, you know, there's no, you don't call someone Mr. So-and-so. Mm-hmm. And I will say that obviously this is a sign of respect for someone who's older or more experienced. So that is just the way that the culture is. And it's fine because that's the way that Filipino culture is, you know, and that's cool. Mm-hmm. It's just more of the, it, it's more of the general issue of, damn, she should have just told me that she had a that she wanted to be addressed in a certain way and this whole situation could have been avoided but right, that's right. digressing because it's not like a it's a it's not a sony specific thing it's just like a dumb coworker thing No, I totally get it. Yeah. Um, so kind of building off of that and everything that you kind of just mentioned, uh, were any of those things or if you, if not yet, you have yet to mention them, what was the most challenging thing you experienced while working there? The most challenging thing that I experienced working at Sony was having to um, adapt to formats that the Japanese team wanted. So something that would make sense to me or an American would not necessarily make sense to a Japanese person. And the biggest example that I could give is surprisingly spreadsheets. So spreadsheets, I did all of them in English. And what would happen is someone would in, would translate the spreadsheets. So the spreadsheets that I would do I think were completely readable and fine. And everyone where everyone understood like the point of the spreadsheet, it they were all concise. 
had no issues with other coworkers. But when it got translated to Japanese, for whatever reason, the spreadsheets no longer made sense. And originally, when someone brought this up to me, I was like, oh, if that's the case, what if the person who was translating the spreadsheets, what if they redid the spreadsheet so that it would make sense for a Japanese person reading it? Mm-hmm. And then, a pr- and then pretty, and so that was my first suggestion because I was like, okay, because I don't, I don't know what the format is. And then pretty much their response was, oh, that's not my job. Oh wow. And then I was just like, well, then I don't know how you want this. Exactly. <laughs> I, I don't know what you're asking for then. So, um, understanding how they wanted to receive information was difficult because I think it could have been solved. If if the mediary took it, if the intermediary took it and, you know, made it made sense for both sides, but then they didn't. They were just like, my job's only to translate. I was just like, well, shit. Well, you're then you're just going to get whatever spreadsheet that I gave you. Yeah. And that yeah. And then that that's one situation. But it spanned across like a lot of the stuff that I did um, was just the lack of understanding when Japanese gave us documents and the lack of understanding when we gave them documents. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. No, that's, that's fair because it's a whole cultural thing where you don't understand. Exactly. Like understanding Japanese culture is, is really different from understanding Japanese business practice culture because there's a whole, Mm -hmm. there's like, there's a way to bow. There's a way to say hi. There's a way to like speak. Like it's called in Japanese, it's called Keigo and Keigo is really hard. Yeah, Yeah. it is. (laughs) It's it's really hard and it's basically another language to Japanese people. So when you ask someone who's Japanese, if they know about Keigo, yes, of course they're going to say yes, but do they know how to speak it is another, another whole thing because not everyone does. And, a lot of people to this day still struggle with it, but mm-hmm. if you know how to speak Keigo in Japanese, then yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely, if you're trying to go into the Japanese business world, then learning Keigo is definitely something that you want to have in your tool set because if you don't have it, then you can't really go into business. Oh uh, yeah. But anyways, so moving on from that topic, uh, is there anything that you can talk to us that you've worked on? If, at all what no no you can't talk about it this is where i'm not sure so you know the funny thing is before we got on this call i was googling whether this this specific thing that i was working on happened and the thing is i think it did happen but i don't know if they required NDAs to be signed for people to do who did it. Okay. Like I, like I am 99% positive that it did happen at this thing, but no one is talking about it. And I don't see articles for it that I'm not sure what's going on or if there was an NDA. Okay. Well, I, but I, but one thing I think got, published or at least was demonstrated two months ago i think and that's kind of as far as i can go with it but i will say that it was augmented reality okay well yeah yeah if you can't talk about it let's not do it just for you know nda sake uh but that's cool i mean to the listeners you guys can deduce your own suggestions yep. and let us know what you think it is <laughs> at least at least i cannot confirm or deny it but i will i will not confirm or deny i will also speculate so you know yes. let us know in the comments um yes so what were some of the awesome perks you had while working at sony so a few of the awesome perks i had for sure were the benefits i think the benefits were really good mm-hmm. and benefits are actually pretty flexible i like uh, even as a when I was a contractor, I had a decent amount of benefits with them, so that was really awesome. And on and so that on a surface level, that was cool. And another thing that I liked was working with a diverse team 
because when you work with a diverse team, I think you're working with a lot of different ideas and a lot of perspectives. And that's one thing I loved about working at Sony. Like, for example, the American team, we weren't all from California. We were all from different places. Like one of my closest coworkers there was from Miami. Another coworker, a close coworker I had was from Los Angeles. Another one was from Cleveland. And a lot of the team was Japanese as well. But even then, just different parts of Japan. And I... In the group that I worked with specifically and got along with, there were just so many ideas riffing off of each other and everything always felt efficient and productive when when I was having meetings with people in our office and like and including like the Japanese uh, transplants who uh, who live in the Bay Area that are on my team. So mm-hmm. I, so anything that I did, with the people in my office was always fun nice it was always and i always felt like i was doing work that i liked sweet but yes so but did you ever get any free games i know you you did a couple times right i did actually i did i did get quite a few free games even though i wasn't working on a game itself um i'm trying to i think i got god of war for free i got god of war for free what else did I get for free? You told me Shadow of the Colossus. Oh, yeah. I got Shadow of the Colossus for free as well. Nice. Yes. That's cool. And that was a bit. Yeah, that was a huge perk. I love Shadow of the Colossus. That's a good game. <laughs> yeah, you, could, you can hear her talking about it on a previous podcast. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know if you mentioned that you got it for free from work, but I do remember you mentioning that you did get it at one point on a previous podcast. Yeah, last year there were, I want to say, three games that I got for free. And I, no regrets there. No regrets. No regrets. Not even an A. <laughs> Not even an A. <laughs> uh, so did you meet anyone famous while you were working at Sony? I did not meet anyone famous. And I think part of that is because since I was part of an R&D department and I was never working with the with an actual video game itself. Like I never had to talk to an actor, never had to talk to, you know, voice, whatever. I think the closest that I, I say, I would say that, um, I met someone quote famous was I met a director, but by saying who the director is, it breaks an NDA because then someone can Google who this director is. Okay. 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 Let's just say that you met someone famous, (laughs) but I met, but I met, a director, and that's all I'll say. Okay, that's fair. That's cool. Yes. We know. Redacted. Yes. Redacted. Redacted. Yeah. <laughs> Redacted. Uh so we're we're coming on the last few questions here. Uh so, go for it. So one of them is how was working for a Japanese company overall? I know you already touched on this, but I just want to hear like a kind of summed up version. Uh and adding on to that, this is kind of a three part question. Um, what was your biggest takeaway from working at a Japanese company and would you work for another Japanese company if you had the chance? Now my biggest, uh, so one of the biggest takeaways I have with working at a a Japanese company, and I want to say this is a takeaway for working for an international company of some sort in general is you need to, uh, I think it's important for an employee to know and understand what the workplace culture of the company you're working for is. And Mm -hmm. by knowing what those expectations are, then it leads to how you should act in the workplace as well as, um, honestly, if you want to continue working in that environment. I feel like having having the proper environment that um, that gives growth to you as a person is important. And if you and if you feel that working at an international company that has a different perspective and a different environment is for you, then you should do it. If you realize that you don't like it, then you know what? That you know maybe working at an international company is not for you, and which is totally fine. Uh, there were points at my company uh, where. You know, I honestly did not, was not a fan of the uh, overtime that I had to work because I was, it was a little bit, 
uh, grueling. It's interesting, actually, because of my new job. So the new job I have, I, I actually work a lot of overtime there as well. But the overtime that I work over there is different. The overtime that I work over there is typically because I'm waiting for someone to complete their task. So it's it's so like the overtime I work is not because I'm like working five hours straight after work. It's usually just because like, oh, I'm working late because I'm this client call has gone over or oh, I'm working late because I'm waiting for so and so to pass me this. And then when I finally do my thing, Mm -hmm. it takes only five minutes. Mm -hmm. Working overtime for a Japanese company, I felt like I was working the whole time. I see. And like I would like I felt like work never stopped. Right, right. But it was it was and it was cool that you still have had time to do this podcast too. Yeah, I know exactly, exactly. So, um, this is so I would say like working for a company that is that is not headed in your national state is not is not an ideal situation for everyone and it's okay if it's not an ideal situation for you yeah and i will say um there were a few things at sony that some you know as a person sometimes it was really difficult adjusting to some cultural changes Sometimes I felt like I was uh, neglected in some ways. Um, sometimes it felt like there was favoritism. But at the end of the day, um, I I feel like it was balanced with a lot of really cool things that I did. And the people that worked with me directly in my office. I, I had no issues with anyone who I was working with at san francisco okay yes and would i work for a japanese company again i'm not sure but hey um you know i'm open to i'm open to anything um i'm always down to just you know it's part of our millennial selves where you know some might as well give it a try and see how you feel about the company and mm-hmm. go from there but would i work at sony again um i would have i i think if i worked at sony again i need some time i wouldn't go back to sony for quite a, quite a few years i just need to i just need to stay away from working at sony for a little bit and maybe when i'm older i'd consider it and also if I worked at Sony again, I would not work in R&D or work in the hardware. I would work as a I would like to work for uh one of their developer studios. I see, like Naughty Dog or Santa Monica. Yes, I would want to work for one of those. And um last but not least, I also want to mention that Actually, no. That's it. That's oh, it. Cool. Cool. I think I did. I think I said my spiel. Yeah, right there. no, that that works. Um, yes. So the last couple questions I have, uh, the first one is, how has your life changed from this whole experience? Um, so my two years when I was working at Sony, um, when you balance everything out, I had like felt like a dream because I was working for a company that I really liked. Um, when I, and it, and with any job and any experience you have, it's always a chapter that you'll never forget. But there was something really interesting when I left that company. And I'm saying this for the first time now. Um, but, and it, when you look back at episodes, you'll now realize like, oh shit, maybe, you know, that's kind of, like that's kind of true but after i left sony i didn't want to play video games for a while and maybe it was because you find out some secrets about video game development maybe it's just because i was a little tired but it was like when i was working for sony i was playing all these games and everything was cool when i left 
Sony, there was like a whole month where I didn't feel like playing my PlayStation, like a whole month, month and a half. And I was just like, you know, I have a new job. This job's busy, but I wasn't even trying to play anything. Uh, I need I needed to disassociate myself from Sony for a while, to be honest. And then the next big game, uh, the first big game I played after I left Sony was Danganronpa, mm-hmm. which rejuven which that game rejuvenated me to like you know like play video games again. But yeah, I went through a whole month and a half of just like shit. I don't have time to play video games, and to be honest, I don't want to try because I don't want to play my PlayStation. That's fair. No, I yeah. I feel like when you're so involved in your job and, and and your job involves something that you love so much, I feel like everyone kind of needs a break after that. Yeah. And I, I you know, I feel like now I got my break and now I feel like I'm I feel like I'm who I was again and like playing my PlayStation, you know, like playing all these awesome games, but coming back to place the coming back to PlayStation was a little bit weird and coming back to Sony was weird at first. Mhm. And I guess my biggest takeaway, uh, another big takeaway is uh you know, sometimes the the dream company that you work for um you find out, you know, is is not there's parts of it that aren't a dream and it's just kind of like that saying where you don't want to find out where your sausage is made. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that took a while for me to get over. And I feel like for the most part, I am over it. But um, going off of what I previously said, I if I worked at Sony again, I, I, would, I can't do it for like another 10 years, to be honest. That's fair. No, yeah. I mean, yeah, it, 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 it sounds like it kind of like even just two years took a lot out of you and that's totally fine. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, my last question tying this all together would be, do you still love Sony? And it sounds like you do. Oh, yeah. I think that I, you know, like I said at the beginning of this podcast is this is all based off of my current of of the experience that I had and I have a lot of very positive feelings about Sony I also have negative feelings about Sony um at the end of the day companies are going to disappoint you no matter what (laughs) and it's just it's not even just like oh like such a you know any company that you work for there's going to be some dumb shit and I think after I left Sony, I needed that was a good end to that specific chapter where I realized, you know what, like that, you know, I I'm OK leaving Sony like this dream job that I had. And it led to the kind of like a different j- direction that I'm like pretty much in love with now. Like I love my new job and I'm. I can only thank Sony for all of the experiences and helping me grow in my career as well as uh, teaching me a lot of things about etiquette and working globally. Because now that I've worked with Sony, I've, I feel like I've been working flawlessly, like with others, like outside studios at my current job. Like I, like now I just know what to do. Mm-hmm. And um, like, I love Sony for that as a, as a company that helped me and I love PlayStation still like that's still my console I I, you know I have reservations about the company just because now now that I learned what the process is at Sony um, about building hardware you know sometimes it's just a little bit hard to get over because you in times where you want them to be innovative they're not but at the same time it's just like well like I, you know, if they've been successful successful for so long, then I, uh, I guess this is, you know, you can trust the process. Um, I still love Sony, but it's funny because now that I worked for Sony, I feel like 
I have no problem criticizing them now mm-hmm. when I feel like they need to be criticized, which is cool, actually. I think it's great that I know some shortcomings of Sony because now I don't feel jaded and I understand more about business process and I just understand that, you know, a pro- like a company is trying to make a product and it that's the, this is the way it is for everyone. And, you know, the company's going to do dumb shit and they're human. So right. the f- it's like the more I, the more like dumb shit I know that Sony's done is just like oddly in a way, the more, um, encouraging it feels i see just be yeah it's like they're just like any other company yeah no you have every right to kind of criticize them in some way and now that you know the kind of behind the scenes of how it works like it's justified in some sense if you have some criticism you know yeah and it's uh yeah it's it's kind of cool knowing that Sony is just is just a company out there trying to survive and I'm not idolizing them anymore, which I think is a great thing actually. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm glad that I'm at this level that I that they're like this power to like, you know, powerful console company and they are, but now I you know, now I can see the inner workings and um they're not sony is not perfect but i think that's totally fine yeah that's fair that sounds fair yes cool uh that's all the questions i had for you elisa and you answered a lot and i like all the detail you put into every question Um, yeah i don't know if you're i don't know uh how you're gonna edit this but you know Feel free to do whatever you need. I hope that everyone, you know, like I went on a few rants. It is also very late, but I hope that this was pretty informative of my experience. I want to say this was all of my experience at Sony. No one else's. Cool. Yeah. No, I'm going to leave all of it in. I think that it's important to kind of just like keep the whole record for people to understand. I mean, your employee, your former employer is not going to come after you. Like you didn't say anything scathing about the company and you didn't really reveal any company secrets. So I don't really yeah. see anything wrong with it, but um, yeah, no, I think it was a really cool interview. I mean, yeah, it, it was, I think I still think it's kind of funny that one of us is working in the industry and, you know, we're running this podcast and yeah, no, it just kind of came full circle in a, in a kind of way. I know. I know. But it's um yeah it it's it's interesting when you've you know you you always talk about how you want to do something and then you actually do it and it's one of the most meta moments that you that could ever happen right and after you do after you finally do something that's been a dream for some time the question is like oh shit all right well what's next what do I, what do I do now? Yeah, no, I've and yeah, yeah, and you know, um, I think that's I think it's cool that I don't work at Sony right now, just because I, I'm fulfilling new dreams. Yeah, no, you're going in a better direction, I think. Yeah, so I um, think so too. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I don't think there's anything wrong with that either. Um. Uh, it's not a, it's not really a spoiler, but I, my new job, I'm not in the video game industry, like specific to video games anymore. I'm still in the entertainment one sector, but I'm just not doing video games, which is cool. I think by doing that, I've been enjoying video games a lot more. No, I mean, like given your busy schedule, I'm still surprised that you have time for video games, but I mean... If you don't have time, you got to make time, right? Yeah, exactly. And I feel more like when I make time now in my current state, I like I feel joyful about it. Good, like, good. Like it's not, yeah. It doesn't feel like work. It doesn't feel like work. That's good. No, I mean, video games are supposed to be a takeaway from work, you know? Exactly. Um. So, yeah, kind of a, you know, 
something to think about if you really want that dream job. Let's say like you love Nintendo, but you want to work for them one day. Make sure you just do all your research before you work for them because like maybe there's something you don't agree with in their working policy, you know? Um, yeah. You know, same thing for like any any fandom, any brand, you know, you, just because you love it doesn't mean that it's always going to be glorified in a lot of ways. There's every company has some flaw, like Elisa said before. And, um, you know, a lot of us look past those. But at the same time, it's important to understand those because behind every company are humans and humans will always make mistakes. Yes. Agreed. That is a great way to end this podcast. Sweet. Speaking of that, Elisa, where can people find us? Uh, let's see. Uh, go to our website, www.downtime.live. There is a form that you can fill out. There is a Discord that you can join. There is also an email there that you could follow, contact.downtime.live. You can send a review on Stitcher or Apple Podcasts and anywhere where we host the podcast, which includes... YouTube, Stitcher, Podbean, etc. You can make a comment on the episode and we will read it out. Yep. Even if it's a bad comment, we'll read it out. Yep. And uh, next week, we'll actually talk about games that we're playing. <laughs> so Yeah, we'll return to our regular programming. I know. It, the summer, it's been the summer, y'all. <laughs> yeah. so. Surprisingly, summer is pretty busy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I hope everyone's having a great summer, by the way. Yeah. Enjoy the heat if you got it. If you Enjoy the cold if you got it. <laughs> I mean, yep. I'm cold. It's cold right now, but hey, it's summer in San Francisco. Yeah. Yep. Yay. <laughs> uh, if you're at Outside Lands, be safe. Yo, so. yeah. Please be safe. Like, it's supposed to be like pretty, pretty nice this weekend in Golden Gate Park. So Mm -hmm. enjoy that if you're there. Oh, yeah. But anyways, thanks for listening to the 115th episode of Dentime Podcast. Have a good night. Peace.